hear the word of God to you this morning. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thus ends the reading of God's holy inerrant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. music up here. There we go. Now, if, if you haven't noticed already, if you've been in the church any length of time at all, keeping the peace in the church is really hard. I mean, that really is tough stuff. It takes a lot of sacrificial love. It takes a lot of long-suffering. And it takes tons and tons of that thing that we really uh, pray for with fear and trembling, patience, one with another. So here's the question. Why would anyone in their right mind keep at it through thick and thin, as Paul uh, called us to do earlier here in the text, patiently warning the idle? You know, I don't know about you, but I don't like confronting people. Even in love, it's kind of, it's, it's uncomfortable, right? Why would, why would we bother doing that? Why would we repeatedly, again and again, time after time, encourage the timid. I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm like, come on, dude. You know, how many times I got to tell you? And then, of course, helping the weak. We know that if you help the weak one time, guess what? You're going to have to help them a second and a third and a fourth until they begin to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and begin to get strong. But that takes a lot of, what's that P word again? Patience. But I'll see you if you're a gambler, if you see me all have all these casinos around, and I'll raise you 10. Why would someone refrain from the natural impulse, listen to this, to pay back wrong for wrong? That is the most natural thing. That's, that's how, hey, Clint Eastwood made a living doing that. Right? 
The whole point of all his movies is getting revenge, getting justice. Why? And why do we watch it? Because inside, that's human nature. You hurt me, what do I want to do? I want to hurt you back. So why in the world would someone refrain from that natural impulse and instead bless and do good to the very person that hurt you? Why would someone do that? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us why us seemingly crazy Christian people would live in such a countercultural way in a world that sometimes does everything they can to turn us away from God. And he tells us he spent most of 1 Thessalonians telling us why. Because Jesus died to wash away all of our guilty stains so that we could have fellowship with God and someday on that great judgment day when knees are, are knocking, we're going to hear, welcome home because of what Jesus did on the cross. And the second reason why we would bother living like this crazy lifestyle, which is not easy, we need tons of grace to do it, is because we know when Jesus comes back, we're not appointed for wrath. Because make no bones about it, some people will be appointed for wrath if they rejected Christ. But it says we were appointed to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we see him coming through the clouds, that's going to be a happy day. Oh, happy day! That's going to be a happy day. So what am I trying to say? What's Paul been saying? He's been saying this. That's the kind of radical, transformational power that the gospel has. It's not just pie in the sky. In the old by and by. It's because we know where we're going then that we can live the way God calls us to live right now. In faith, what? Hope and love. And with patience. So we saw in the last couple of weeks, we basically saw this. Our faith in what Christ has accomplished for us in His first coming, and our hope in what He's promised to do in His second coming, should make a significant impact on how we relate to three things, and we covered the first one the last two weeks. How we relate to one another, others, our relationships. The gospel changes how we relate to one another in relationships, both in the church and out of the church. That was the first two weeks, if you missed. I'm sorry about that. But the next two are the ones we're going to deal with this morning. The gospel is going to impact the way we deal with, first of all, our circumstances. Now think about it. Aren't those the two things that we have issues with every day? I got issues with people, and I got issues with what? My circumstances. Right? I'm in a pickle. My back's against the wall. How do we as Christians, what makes us different? And the third thing we're going to see is how the gospel makes an incredible impact on how we respond to the ministry of the word of God. We're going to see those things. All right? Those are two, two of the three we're going to deal with because we already dealt the first. So let's take a look at how the gospel changes and that means our relationship with Jesus changes the way we deal with our circumstances. Look at verses 16, 17, and 18. There's a little threefold um, call here. And Paul says this Be joyful always. That means like all the time, right? Pray continually. What does that mean? Like 
always? Give thanks in what kind of circumstances? All circumstances. For, now, now here's the, the clincher. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Guess what? I'm going to have to be a prophet to tell you all this morning it's God's will for you. To be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Now here's the cool thing. The believers in Thessalonica, which was a city in Greece, and still is, on my bucket list, by the way. We'll see. These believers, if they already knew what it was to have the joy of the Lord, listen, despite the most severe, horrible circumstances. Chapter 1, verse 6, this is what Paul writes to them. That in spite of severe suffering, that's persecution, they welcome the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. They were poor, they were beat down, they were persecuted, they were harassed. You would think you wouldn't be very joyful in that situation, right? And what does it say? They received the message of the gospel with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So when Paul says rejoice always, they already knew a little bit of what that was about. That no matter how grim it looks, no matter how dark it is, no matter how bad your circumstances, we can still have a deep, abiding joy, and we are to focus on that joy. That means, listen, whether our circumstances are good and challenging, I mean, good or challenging, whether they're bad and hard or whether they're easy, listen, if you're finding your joy in the Lord, and I want you to pay attention to this, not in problem-free living, Everybody can find joy in problem-free living, right? Not in a drama list like, oh, I just don't want to deal with the drama. Well, guess what? Life's all about drama. And sometimes it's coming your way. Paul says you still need to find joy in that. Not in finishing the race the quickest. Ha ha, I beat you. Some people find joy always comparing themselves with others. Not in, and listen, there's another place where we don't find joy. We don't find joy in giving people back what they've given us. Treating evil for evil. Because face it, listen, before I knew the Lord, I took joy in that. Didn't you? But instead, what does it say? Simply, we are to rejoice in the Lord. And, and how, could, how could we find that joy in the Lord no matter what? Because listen, we focus on one thing. Our sins have been completely washed away. Our greatest need has been completely taken care of. We are now a child of the living God. And listen, even the devil from hell can't take that away from you. If you can't rejoice in that fact, then you need to check yourself. Am I walking with the real King of kings and the Lord of lords, because a relationship with him is better than anything this world has to offer, and I don't care what i got to go through to have that pearl of great price. I'll sell it all. If you don't know that yet, that means you haven't met him yet. Because I'm telling you, once you know him, <laughs> diamonds, gold, popularity, that stuff, it's nothing. pales. Now, Paul himself, here's the thing. You know, some people give you like a lot of words. They tell you what to do, but you look at their life, you're like, dude, how about kind of practicing what you preach? You know? It's like the guy goes, hey, you really need to come to know Jesus. You know, it's like, dude, maybe you do too. You know what I'm saying? Well, Paul's not like that. 
Paul practiced what he preached. Let me give you a couple of quick examples. Remember when he and Silas were thrown into prison for preaching the gospel in Philippi? They're in the stockade. What'd they do? Did they, did they sit there and groan and complain, which unfortunately I'm, I do too often, and, and talk to each other and go, man, you know, what are we doing here? What does the Bible say they did? They sang hymns of praise to God in the stockade. God kind of liked that because all of a sudden the prison shook. Remember that? That's some cool stuff. Another occasion, he was under arrest for ministering the gospel. He's in prison, in chains. And he wrote this to the Christians in, in, in uh, Philippi. He wrote this. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, and again, I say rejoice. How can he say that? Because no matter what your circumstances are, the joy that Paul is talking about runs deeper than just happiness. That comes and goes. See, happiness comes and goes depending on your circumstances. I hear a good report, I'm happy. I go to the doctor, I find out a bad report, I'm totally upset and fretful. Right? But either way, I know, you know what? To live is Christ and to die is gain. So on both ends, I got joy. So when I sing, I got the joy, 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 that means something to me. I hope it means something to you. Someone once said this, joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. <laughs> That's awesome. That's the flag. And it's actually, we see throughout the scriptures, it's an identifying mark of a true Christian. Now listen, I remember when I was first saved, when I was coming to know the Lord, it was actually this lack of joy that I saw in religious people around me that made me doubt Christianity. It made me stop going to church as a teenager. And it made me say, obviously the church don't have the answer. Because look at these people moping around. Constantly complaining, constantly cranky, constantly, you know, where's the joy? Bless you. But what, and that's a bad testimony, brothers and sisters, and we're all guilty of it now and then. It's a bad testimony when we focus on circumstances rather than on Jesus and his grace and his beauty and his goodness. So a, a joyless Christian is partially a contradiction, but it's also, because we all fall into a, at different times, but it's also a bad witness, isn't it? So let's look at it on the other hand. What a winsome witness for Christ it is. What an awesome witness to Jesus Christ when you are taking joy in the Lord, whether you're scrubbing floors, right? Or whether you're out doing anything else for the glory of the Lord. And I'll tell you, there is no advertising, there's no outreach program that's better than joyful Christians. I've never, there's only a few times in my life that I've heard people saying, I just heard some someone says about my wife she's always happy what does she have I want to know what she has I want to talk to her and I want to say she got me but that ain't what it is I think, I think I'm more of the trial part of her life I think she's more of the mom not me it's because she has Jesus I love what uh, Martin Luther says it's convicting but I do love it he says, the devil is a chronic grumbler. Isn't that interesting? 
the Christian ought to be a living doxology. Doxology is praise God from whom all blessings flow, right? Your life should be living that. Nehemiah once told God's people in the Old Testament times what? The joy of the Lord is your what? That's your strength. You can have that, like I said, being in prison, or you can have that being in church. Be joyful always. Next thing Paul says is pray continually. Now, it's, no, it's not for no reason that Paul includes this incessant prayer in between the call to be joyful always and to give thanks in all circumstances. Because if we're going to do those things, if we're going to live that kind of lifestyle, guess what we need to be in? We need to be in constant communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because only Jesus can work in me what? That awesome joy and that what, as we're going to see in a moment, to be given thanks even in the craziest and worst of circumstances. Not for those circumstances, but in those circumstances, right? Which we'll talk about in a moment. We need to be constantly in prayer. Now, of course, it doesn't mean we got to be 24-7 on our knees, in our closet with the door locked, you know, just praying. Obviously, that's literally impossible. Jesus didn't do that. But what it does mean is every aspect of our lives, we should be in constant communion with God. Washing the dishes. Weeding the yard. Taking a walk for exercise. In the car. A lot of us have to do a lot of driving or a lot of walk. You should be constantly in communion. Praying. And of course, you should be having some quiet times as well. And you should be praying corporately. You should be praying by yourself. You should be praying with one or two others. I think you're getting the hint. John Calvin puts it this way. The man who does not think so highly of the righteousness of Christ and the hope of eternal life that he rejoices in the midst of sorrow is exceedingly ungrateful to God. But since every day and indeed every moment there are many things which can disturb our peace and drive away our joy, he bids us pray without ceasing. So what happens when you find your joy drying up? What happens when it's hard for you to give, to give thanks in all circumstances? Where you got to go? To the fountain. You got to get on your knees to the only one who could grant you such a wonderful gift because it is a gift. I don't know about you, but when I see people living this out, that inspires me and I want to be more like Jesus who obviously was like this all the time. We'll talk more about prayer. I think Pete's going to be talking about it in a couple weeks, right? So let's go to the next one. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you. In Christ Jesus. So here's the interesting thing. This isn't an option. Oh, look, only super Christians could give thanks in all circumstances. No. This is for the whole body of Christ, this exhortation. And it's not an option for us. If you notice here, it says, this is God's. That, why do you think Paul adds that? This is God's will for you. Like how often, come on, brothers and sisters, this kills me. How often, I just need to know what God's will is. Right? For all the exciting stuff. I want to know what exciting mission he has for me. And God goes, oh, yeah, yeah, hang on a minute. You want to know what my will is? Be patient. Help the weak. Encourage the timid. Don't treat each other. You know, don't pay each other wrong for wrong. I want you to be joyful always. I want you to give thanks in all circumstances. There's, a, there's one quote from Spurgeon I use over and over again, and I don't care if you're sick of it. 
This is what he says. As long as you are forgiven, what does anything else matter? Go to a, condemned, a man condemned to die and take him a free pardon. Do you think he'll begin murmuring because some little thing is not just as he would like it? Oh no, he will say, it's enough for me that my life is spared. One of the worst sins for a believer especially is ingratitude. That's the mark of a non-Christian is they, they are not thankful. They're unthankful. But the mark of someone filled with the Holy Spirit is that they give thanks in all circumstances. I, I've told this story too, but I'm going to tell it again. Some of you haven't heard it. There was a pastor who was on a short-term mission trip like some of you were on uh, this week. But he was, um, going, he was leading worship at a leper colony in the island of Tobago. And a woman who had been facing away from the pulpit turned around. Listen to this. This is what he writes. It was the most hideous face I had ever seen. The woman's nose and ears were entirely gone. She lifted a fingerless hand in the air and asked, listen, can we sing Count Your Many Blessings? Overcome with emotion, he left the service. He was followed by a team member who said, I guess you'll never be able to sing that song again. And he said, yes, I will. But I'll never sing it the same way. Anyone, listen, anyone can thank God when things are going your way. Praise God, right? We get excited. It's the true believer who it truly knows what Jesus did to pay his debt and knows that he has this glorious future that Jesus bought for him that can give thanks no matter what God sends for our good into our lives. You remember that passage in Romans that's often quoted and sometimes kind of people beat us over the head with it, but it is still very true in context. We know that God works what? All things for the good of those who what? Love him and are called according to his purpose. C.S. Lewis sums it up real well. He says, we ought to give thanks for all fortune. Now listen to this. This is powerful. If it's good, because it's good. That was an easy one. If it's bad, because it works in us, patience, humility, and the contempt of this world and the hope of our eternal country. Isn't that cool? So even the bad God is working in us, his good, and making us more like Jesus. And that's what a genuine knowledge of the gospel leads us to do more and more. Give us thanks, give, give thanks to our most gracious, loving, all-wise God in all circumstances. So be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, we're going to see the last thing that Paul tells us a true knowledge of the gospel should transform in our lives. And that is the way we relate to the ministry of the word. And it's a little bit of an odd verse, a couple of verses here, because we don't live in the brand new New Testament times before the New Testament was written. We happen to have the whole New Testament. You realize the Thessalonian Christians, you know how much of the New Testament they had? I'm going to do a little um, Looney Tunes. None. This is one of the very first epistles ever written by Paul. And so they would have just gotten, this is fresh, hot off the press. Here's part of the New Testament for you. 
One of the crazy things, the Gospels weren't written yet when this letter was written. But we'll get to that. So apparently in Thessalonica, they had the opposite problem of the church in Corinth. Now, you remember the church in Corinth, that crazy church that Paul had a right to? They were kind of zooey. They were elevating the supernatural gifts like speaking in tongues and giving prophecies above the other good gifts that God gives as if they were the best, the flashiest ones, right? The most prominent ones. And Paul had to say, yo, yo, settle down a little bit. You know, you need to seek after the greater gifts, right? And what did he talk about? That's where he gets into the whole talk about love, right? But with this church, they were a little more, I guess you could say, from the reform crowd like us. And, and they were like, no prophecy. We don't want any prophecy. In the Since it can be abused, none of it. And so Paul says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. Now, why I mentioned what I mentioned before is because of this. These verses don't direct, apply directly to us. Listen, in the same way, part in the sea doesn't apply directly to us. That happened at a particular point in time. It happened once more when Joshua went through um, the Jordan. Remember that? With the people. But just because that happened then, that doesn't mean that God's going to open up the Atlantic Ocean for me so I can go to Italy and I don't have to take the plane. It was a specific time. In this specific time, you don't understand, prophecy was vitally important because they didn't have a New Testament yet. All they had was the Old Testament, so it was great when someone would stand up in the congregation and give a word from God that would have um, New Testament uh, teaching in it, which later we now have in the books of the New Testament, which is totally sufficient for us. So look, here's the, here's the issue. If this verse doesn't apply directly to us, and that we don't have the same kind of prophets they had in the New Testament, then how does it apply to us? I'll tell you how. This is what he says. He says, test everything, hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. Listen. For us today, we might not have that kind of prophecy, but we still have what? Sermons? We still have Bible studies? You know how many people listen to people on the radio, listen to people on TV, and we still have to do what? Test everything. Hold on to the good and what? Get, get rid of the evil. So if someone claims to have a word from God, we're called to really test to see, but we're not called to just swallow it whole. There are a lot of people out there that are claiming to talk for God, and they ain't talking for God. I promise you that. Now, no, let me just say this really, really interesting thing. Did you ever notice that those who have a word from God always have something upbeat and, po and positive to say? That's number one. And number two, it's always general. It's most of the time it's general. So I'll give you two instances of my life. I remember one lady saying to me, God's telling me he has wonderful things in store for you someday. I'm like, oh, thanks for that. You know, who doesn't like that? Oh, cool. Another time I was at church and someone stood up in the type of church where they give these prophecies. And the woman said, got up and said, and there was like hundreds of people there. And she goes, someone here is carrying a heavy, heavy burden. I'm thinking to myself, you think? <laughs> like, who here isn't carrying a heavy burden? I didn't say that. I'm like, and, and God is saying he's going to remove it soon. Well, thanks for that. So most of the time, it's, it's, it's either always super positive or it's very general. Well, let me show you. Open your Bibles with me. The only cross-reference I'm going to use. Open your Bibles with me to Acts 21. 
let's see what a prophet in the New Testament, let's see the kind of prophecies that they would really give. It's good to go to the Bible to find out the kind of prophecy Paul's talking about. Look at Acts 21, 8 to 14. 8 to 14. Okay, wait a minute. I I wrote down the wrong reference. Hmm. It's with Agabus. Help me out, Pete. Is it verse 10? Yes, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Sean. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Does that sound encouraging to you? Is that the kind of message that you're going to go, Yay, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to go to prison, and they're going to persecute me. Wonderful. You don't hear too many of those, do you? From modern prophets. But to get back to the point for us, when, when I was young in the Lord, I used to listen to tons of sermons on the re I still do, uh, devotional messages. But I was real sensitive, and I would take almost everything they said wholesale, and sometimes my faith would be troubled because they'd say certain things like, you can lose your salvation. And as a young believer, right, that frightened me. Or they would say other horrible things that I would take to heart. And I remember my buddy Jay saying to me, Sam, listen, I stopped listening, like taking it to heart long time ago. I'm, I use discernment, and I make sure I check it with what? This book to see if it's really in line. Now here's the issue. Look at verse 27 of our passage. That's in 1 Thessalonians 5. And Paul says something that you could miss if you're just like snoozing and you're thinking about what we're going to eat later, or you're like, when are we going to get out of the service? You could really miss this. Look at verse 27. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. What does this have to do with anything? It has everything to do with it. Because this is, what, this is the first instance in the New Testament where an apostle of Jesus Christ is telling God's people, I want you to read my letter right next to the Old Testament in church. And I command you to read it to all the brothers. Why is he saying that? Because his word is whose word? God's word. We don't have apostles anymore today. You know that, right? Because one qualification of apostle, what? Is they had to see Jesus risen from the dead. We ain't got no of those people today. And so here, this is, it's an exciting time. Paul is saying, I want you to heed my word the same way you heed Isaiah. So here's the cool thing about the Apostle Paul. You don't take his, you don't test his words. <laughs> you, don't, you don't take out, take the bad, take out the bad and eat only the good. You take it all. Because all of it is God's word. Need a little more convincing? I see some people need a little more convincing. 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 to 15. This is what Paul says. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. That's strong stuff. 
He's saying if they don't listen to this, warn them. Because this is the word of the living God. And we have that now. And so we test when any, any message, this message itself, test it from the word of God. All right, I got, I got to get to this last part because it, for me, it's the most encouraging in the whole passage. It's where Paul says this in verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Listen, I don't know about you, but when I read all these commands, when I read all these gospel exhortations, when I see that, that, I, that everything that Paul says, I'm responsible to put into practice by faith, what does it make you think? I'll tell you what it makes me think. Listen, this is important. It makes me think, I ain't going to make it. Oh. Am I preaching now? When I was first saved, I don't preach my experiences usually, but I'm going to tell you this one. When I was first saved, I come from a very wicked lifestyle, and I was so excited that Jesus had forgiven me, and I was a new person. And I was listening to Keith Green. Some of you guys, guys may know him. He was a hippie, Jesus uh, hippie, and um, came to know Jesus, and a very powerful singer. And he was playing in the background of my car, and I started praying to God, and I said, God... I don't think I can keep this up. I, th I think you need to take me now. I said, take me now because that way I know I'm going to make it. <laughs> because I don't know that I could keep fighting the good fight for if you give me another 30, 40, 50, 60 years. I don't want to fall away from you. That would be the worst tragedy in, in history for me. And as I pray in that, no lie, the song comes on. My child, my child. Right? Why are you striving? And I'm like, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, where's this guy? And it goes, you can't add one thing to what I've done for you. And then I'm literally, I have goosebumps now telling you. He goes, I did it all when I was dying. You just hang on to what I have told you. And I remember, I just started bawling. And he said, because when I hear the praises start, my child, you know, I want to rain on you. You know, blessings that will fill your heart. I see no stain in you. Because you are my child and I love you. To me, you're only holy. Nothing that you've done will remain. Just what you do with me. And the tears are pouring. And guess what the next line is? My child, my child, why are you weeping? <laughs> I'm like, come on, come on. And he goes, the day is coming. I don't remember exactly the words, but the day is coming when I will take you to heaven. So you just hold on. I got you. I want you to hear this if you know Jesus this morning. The one who calls you is faithful. And guess what? It depends on how you say this, but both ways are true. And he will do it. The other part is, he will do it. But both are true. So here's the question. Are we to do it or is God to do it? It's a little bit con confusing, right? Paul calls us to live a holy life, to love each other, to work hard, to admonish one another, respect our leaders, be alert, be self-controlled, wear, wear the armor of God, warn those. You get the idea? 
So wait a minute. That's us doing it. But then in, in this verse, he basically says, God will do it, right? He's going to sanctify you through and through. So here's the question. Who does it? Who keeps us? Is it 50-50? Uh-oh. That's, that's bad stuff. It ain't 50-50. You know what it is? It's 100%. 100%. In other words, you go by faith and do everything God calls you to do 100%. And guess what? God keeps you in his power, his grace, 100%. With God having, as my professor always warned me, with God having the primacy. Because the Bible teaches both with equal force. We could never say, God will keep me so I could take it, a, take, a, a, take it or leave it type attitude. I don't really have to listen to what Paul says because God's going to keep me. That's wrong, right? But it's equally wrong to think that it's all up to you to keep yourself. Because guess what, man? I'm looking at you right now. There ain't no way you're going to keep yourself. <laughs> Look at y'all. No, I'm serious. We can't keep ourselves. So here's the key. What's the key? We live lives of faith, hope, and love and exercise the patience of the Holy Spirit and joy and give thanks in all circumstances as we have absolute faith and confidence in God's promise that he will keep us to the end and bring us safely to our desired haven. I'm going to literally close with this. Pilgrim's Progress, good place to close this, this morning. It's about Christian's journey from this present world to the world which is to come. If you haven't read that book, do it. You can thank me later. But there's one little section of it where interpreter, that's the Holy Spirit in this book, it's a, um, <coughs> the, the um, Holy Spirit represents, the interpreter represents the Holy Spirit. The, the interpreter takes Christian into a room and he sees a really odd thing. He sees this great fire burning higher and higher against the wall. And there's somebody standing next to that wall who's dousing water on the fire. But behind the wall, but even though he's dousing the water on it, the fire's actually getting higher and higher. And then he goes behind the wall and he sees a man pouring oil on the fire so that the fire keeps getting higher. And Christian goes, what is this? He goes, the man pouring water is the devil. And he's trying to quench your faith. And he says, I love this. Then he says, the one behind the wall with the oil is Christ, who continually with the oil of his grace maintains the work already begun in the heart. By the means of which, notwithstanding that the devil can do, the souls of his people prove gracious still. And that, and that you saw the man stood behind the wall to maintain the fire. This is to teach you that it is hard for the tempted to see how this work of grace is maintained in the soul. We don't see God's secret work. We don't know how he does it. But by the grace of God, he will keep us to the end. And that's the hope we have. So, so we can take all these gospel exhortations dead serious and, and, and try to flesh them out in our everyday lives and the power of the Holy Spirit, trusting in God. And you know what? We're going to mess up. We're going to have fits and starts. We're not going to do it perfectly. We're going to have to come and ask God for forgiveness. We're going to have to ask each other for forgiveness for not having patience and so on and so on. But guess what? God 
will keep us to the end. Because we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And when Jesus comes, he's going to take us to be with him in paradise forever. Let's pray. Indeed, Father, we thank you for this awesome portion of your holy scripture. One of the 66 books you've included in your inerrant word that can be fully trusted. And we do pray, Lord, that we would take to heart the encouragement of the gospel, of the promise of Jesus' return for his people who he died for. And that we would show that we believe this by striving to put into practice all these wonderful gospel exhortations, these imperatives, to live according, not to our will, but your will. We pray it for your glory, for our good, and the salvation of our neighbors, friends, and enemies. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.